In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents Donald Trump with a, a stain on our country. I am someone's daughter, too. That's what I'm doing. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. The Betches Sup Podcast. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. The biggest topics in U.S. news and politics are super devastating this morning. Not much else to say. Not much else to say. We'll jump right into it. Uh, Listeners, thank you for sticking with us. We were just saying before the pod, this covered some difficult topics this week. And today is no different. Um, Thank you for sticking with us. Hopefully brighter times ahead. But like I said yesterday, I am at least relieved by the fact that there's not an authoritarian fascist tyrant distracting (laughs) us from these very important issues and that we can really dedicate the care they need and who helped cause most of these issues. Which I'm sure we'll we'll be talking about shortly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We take a big sip of water. At least I could not. Listeners can't see this, but you've had this water bottle for about a month, and it just delights me. It's the biggest water bottle I've ever seen in my life. She's hydrated in 2021. (gasps) Now that I'm no longer distracted by a fascist authoritarian in the White House, I can remember to drink water. Yeah, you inspired me to get this. This is pretty big, too. All right. Is it, does I'll, it have the time on it? It does not Mine's have the time. the time. I just have to, on. I just have to drink too. Yeah. We're very serious. And Caitlin has her mug warmer. Very serious about our beverages around here. <laughs> <laughs> Come sponsor us. All right. So yesterday, a white man carried out several shootings across three Atlanta area massage parlors where primarily Asian Americans worked and were primarily owned by Asian immigrants. Right now, as far as we know, eight people have died. At least six of them are Asian. Many of them were Asian women who worked at the spas. The 21-year-old white male assailant, uh, I'm not going to say his name. It's probably what he wants. uh, Somehow managed to carry out his murder spree across 30 miles. He drove from a a nearby town after killing several people uh, somewhat outside of Atlanta and then drove into Atlanta proper where he entered two more salons and killed more people. There is every reason to believe this was an anti-Asian hate crime. The killer has admitted to the crime. He's confessed. He says he visited the massage parlors before Uh, he was a client and that he had an addiction to sex that fueled his rampage. He denied any racial motivation in his crimes. Make no mistake. This was a racially motivated crime, but he says that if he wiped out the parlors, it would eliminate the temptation. He planned to drive down to Florida and carry out even more murders He is the son of a youth pastor. And in a press conference this morning, this just struck me, a Cherokee County police chief describing what the murder had said, said, yesterday was a really bad day for him. And this is what he did. Just a bad day. Yeah. uh, That pushed me over the edge. I mean, I was already over the edge. That's one of those things where it's like, how do you not like 
say that and then immediately go, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Uh, that was actually very wrong. Like, I know. Yeah, yeah, I'm literally like I've been checking my post about it. because I'm like, I had to have read that wrong. But this is the stuff we hear all the time. It's no different. Later in the piece, those the, the police go on to uh, profusely thank the killer's family because they helped identify him in the pictures. But um, I mean, I didn't I don't I didn't watch the whole thing, but I think there's only you only need to be talking about the families of the eight dead people. Yeah. Well, this is wow. White, watch whiteness work. White patriarchy right there where it's like, you know, it reminds me of um, Dylan Roof being captured alive and um, you know, he was hungry, so they took him to Burger King after he committed, again, another racist crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you think about how, like, that is its own additional pain on top of the being subjected to these kinds of attacks as a community to know that like you're not really safe no matter what you do and where you go that there's no like the systemic response is to be like oh this is just one guy also it was just because he had a bad day instead of saying like he felt like these people were explicitly like the a lot of the stereotypes around asian women a lot of the stereotypes around um and and this is specifically it's both a an anti-woman attack it's also misogynist and it's specifically against asians the two have commingled by having asian women be so heavily sexualized in our discussions of that community and their social space is very often hypersexualized um and that definitely contributed to this attack and he made them responsible for his sexual feelings and inadequacy Mm-hmm. and thought it was okay to do that. And even though we won't see that he doesn't have a prior record, my guess is that like this is very common, but it doesn't get talked about very much as a pattern. But usually misogyny is the f- one of the biggest warning signs of mass violence. If someone is engaging in anti-woman behavior, they are inevitably going to, it, it doesn't always lead to, but almost every mass shooter has misogyny as a grounding force for some of their hatred. And that showed up today specifically targeting Asian women. And that's awful. Yeah. And it's, it's really, I've seen this like sentiment echoed a bit online, but it would be interesting to see like, who's this guy watching on YouTube? What uh, podcasts are he is he listening to? Because I don't think it's the Betches stuff. I don't think it's the Betches stuff podcast. <laughs> I'm really hoping if you're listening, you haven't been listening. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, but it's this person has been radicalized by our culture, by the way that Asian women have been sexualized. But it, I think that if we were to look into the content that he's been looking at, we would see some really serious anti-Asian rhetoric being reflected back at us. And a lot of this actually made me think, you know, well, first of all, there's obviously Donald Trump's rhetoric. Uh, So, you know, the Kung flu thing, all of that stuff, these quote unquote China virus. Yeah, exactly. Which are all supposed to be quote unquote funny and just jokes. But you hear that enough times. Those that's dehumanizing language. So you dehumanize Asians over and over and over again. 
Um, we have a pandemic. We have a crisis. We have a mental health crisis. We don't stop people who are mentally ill or dangerous from getting guns. And now Asian people are being harmed by this. And you can see a direct line from the rhetoric. And it really made me think like it was a couple of years ago in the comedy community. There was like a big kerfluffle because I'm not even like going to get into all the details, but this white guy comic was hired on SNL and then he got unhired yeah, because right. a recording of him making a bunch of like fucking like middle school, not even because I don't even want to insult middle schoolers because they're growing. <laughs> they were not <laughs> funny. I remember this. Yeah. Just like the like the dumbest. Just think of like the worst, most hacky, anti-Asian bullshit, racist, stupid shit that not only do you not need to be saying, but has been said plenty. Has been done. Right. The joke's been done. So it's you actually don't need to. You're not even adding to the discourse in any way. You're not providing even new information. So he got fired from SNL for that. And it obviously became a huge thing in the comedy community being like, oh, like jokes are jokes and da da da. Like people should be able to say whatever. And it's like, OK, well, here we are a couple of years later and um, Asian people are actually being killed. Not that I think it's like he wanted that, but it's yeah. like you see the direct line between it's like you dehumanize people long line. enough right. and then and suddenly they're not human to yeah, you. I mean, there's there's a controversy right now where the person that they hired to be the editor in chief of Teen Vogue has a history of really, really brutal anti-Asian tweets. And I don't think that they have um, withdrawn her hiring yet, but I just to to, to make Asian people work for somebody who has tweeted that they don't want to wake up with swollen Asian eyes is abuse. It's abuse. And it is, it's like, you don't grow from, I, I, you don't grow up from that. It's not like I tweeted that five years ago and I've grown and I didn't know. It's like, you never related to Asian people at all. That's what I think of when I think about, you know, this cop saying yesterday was a really bad day for him. And this is what he did. The fundamental issue is that like when white we live in a white male patriarchy and white men, this is who they relate to. I feel like a lot of the issue was like how race and plays out is who you relate to in a certain scenario. Like, I think that that was what was so, I think jarring for a lot of people with the, um, what was her name? Amy, the racist park lady, Amy <laughs> oh, Cooper, oh, Amy, Amy Cooper, <laughs> because a lot of people saw that and they were troubled by who they related to in that scenario. And because it's because of that dehumanization that you just don't, this cop, I, I don't know how you don't relate to the dead people in this scenario. His his sympathies went to the other white man. And that, mm-hmm. as you said, at least is a direct line of all of the like decades and centuries of dehumanization. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. 
And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. I'm watching The Nick right now. It's like I was telling Elise, you can't turn on a show about America in the 19th century. If, if there are Asian women, it's because they're working in, in brothels. Mm-hmm. And it's there's if you see an Asian character, they are sexualized. Or and like the memoirs of a yeah. geisha, which was written by a white man. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> like, I, I, I remember the day I found out that memoirs of a geisha was written by a white man. <laughs> but um, it's like we look at cultural representations of Asian women and it is as like this geisha sexual servant type woman. Uh, and you can see the direct line of that. Like, it makes sense that a man with a sexual addiction fixated that addiction on Asian women and felt that they were purposefully tempting him, even though he was entering spaces that they were just working in. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you can see that because that has been fed to that man for a long time. The other point I wanted to make is regarding the dehumanization is just I find it interesting that I know all of this shit about this man and I don't know a single thing about any of these women. Not one thing. Yeah. Yeah, We don't even know all their names yet. Well, I mean, there are are reasons reasons why you don't do that um, because you need to get in touch with with their family. Yeah. Et cetera. But even more than that, it really, the way we talk about crime and especially racialized crime in this country is to center white supremacists in it, <laughs> dehumanize them. To I mean, like, I just can't stop thinking about, there was a, a set of um, kind of artistic, I don't, I don't really know what to call it other than like protest art um, mm-hmm. in New York City subways where they put up um, reimagined New York Times headlines around like Mike Brown and like other um, victims of police violence who had been basically tarred in the media for uh, basically victim blamed for their own murders, which is immediately what happens, especially to black people. But in this particular case, it, you know, whatever form of victimization or dehumanization you are constantly faced with, is the version that comes out. So for uh, Black Americans, it's usually a hyper-visualization, putting us at the center of our own murder and telling us that we're, we're, we deserved it. And in a- anti-Asian sentiment, usually uh, involves erasure um, and minimalization. So you get that. This is what this attack, instead of centering on what this means for Asian American communities, um, the ways in which Asian women, uh, especially East Asian women, uh, because Asia is a giant continent. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason, we just like say everything after the Ural Mountains all the way to Japan. It's just yeah. all Asia. Mm-hmm. You're like, feels like that feels that feels overly broad, but um, <laughs> maybe just a little bit. 
Um, so you get um, you you get a lot, especially East Asian women are fetishized, um, and so that that hasn't been uh, particularly focused on. Um, but also, again, the radicalization, the sense that we swim in this constant soup of cultural narratives that do this thing over and over again. They replicate the violence. And to the point that um, Elise made, it really comes down to the fact that that dehumanization is like violence is a spectrum. There's a reason. I mean, I joke all the time that like when I can't get things that I want, it's violence against me. (laughs) And it is. Oh my God, my tea went cold. This is violence. Violence. I mean, yeah. But at the same time, there's something powerful about the fact that that, that came out of a marginalized community. That language, this is violence against me for things that don't immediately seem to be physical violence. The fact that we can identify that violence exists on this big spectrum means that the erasure is violence. The decentralization of their lives is violence. The minimization of the harm towards Asian Americans is incredibly violent. And I think it's difficult to disentangle because American a relationship with Asians is a very specific thing. And it's not the same as like the relationships between nation states. When you're inside the United States, the dehumanization of white supremacy is just a completely different thing than when you're talking about like, you know, for example, people will say, oh, you don't need to worry about Asian representation because they have countries. And it's like, well, that's (laughs) not accurate. (laughs) Because in Asian American society, it's just a totally different structure than like someone from who like grew up in China and has had Every if to the degree that people like, oh, I didn't have representation. Well, of course you did. You, you saw people who were like you all over the place. They run the country. But it's not the same in the United States where our power structure is very white and very male and very dehumanizing on a regular basis. And so to I, get representation is a completely different thing. And it means something different when you've been erased frequently and deliberately suppressed if we want to get into the history of anti-Asian immigration laws that specifically keeps this population incredibly low and then not even counting the amount of refugees also created by American imperialism that forced a lot of Asian people to flee to the United States because that was the only way they could be safe because we kept blowing up their countries. Right. And I don't I don't want to take away these women's agency but it's not unusual for there to be a lot of survival sex work among East Asian immigrants. I mean, there are plenty of people who they are able to come here because spa owners facilitate it for them. And then they are basically um, just held captive and they can't really report these crimes. They can't report abuse if they're abused in these massage parlor scenarios. If they're doing sex work, they can't demand fair pay. Um, and I feel like I, I do think that sort of goes back to the origins of this like over-sexualization stereotype where I think the roots are survival sex work. Like I said, I don't want to take away any agency, um, but these women, like these were some of the most, we'll learn more about them, but very marginalized people who didn't have a voice and probably endured a lot of abuse by these types of clients before. I mean, I'm sure this wasn't the only 20 year old white racist who frequented the establishment and a report yesterday from the group stop AAPI hate 
found that nearly 3,800 anti-Asian hate crimes happened over the past year. And women made up a far higher share of the reports, 68% of those crimes compared to men who made up about 29% of respondents. So these are people that reported hate crimes. But this number probably doesn't even capture the full scope of what people are experiencing because people either, they don't report for the reasons I just said, they don't feel that they can because of immigration status or language barriers or because there's somebody controlling them or they're being abused by the person that's controlling them. And it is likely that this disparity results from harmful stereotypes about Asian American women. People perceive Asian people in general as meek and subservient and especially Asian women. And there, as we said, there are endless cultural representations that still reflect that harmful stereotype that you see it on like you see it on 90 Day Fiance constantly. And it kind of makes the show it makes certain seasons of the show a little bit unwatchable because without fail, there's an old white man who wants a wife from the Philippines and it takes maybe an episode for him to reveal that the reason why he wants that is he number one, one of the things they always say is like, well, they don't get divorces because they don't get divorced in the Philippines is one of the things that they always say on 90 day. And then the subservient thing inevitably comes up like it'll you'll see you can see it throughout the season what this man wants from usually a significantly younger uh asian woman you typically on 90 day it's a lot of women from the philippines Mm -hmm. and it's just um it's very present in the culture and they don't like cast a critical lens on it at all in the show i suspect no not i mean the show like casts a they they don't make the relationships always seem positive. (laughs) (laughs) But they definitely like, there's one season in particular that like was, I felt pretty difficult to watch, but where an older man who's in his, like, I think sixties gets and brings over a 19 year old girl from the Philippines. And then he gets her to sign a really bad prenup Mm -hmm. uh, to the point where a doctor, a doctor, (laughs) a lawyer, <laughs> which is like a doctor for like the a law. doctor. <laughs> That's a law doctor. <laughs> jurist doctor. They're called jurist doctors, so they are literally doctors of law. <laughs> they are. They are. And that's what that's where my brain is going. Um, a lawyer tells her on camera, like, do not sign this. And she signs it. Um, and it's really sad. Yikes. And it's one of those things where I was kind of having a hard time being like, how do you continue filming the show? Like, how do you not right, like shut right. down production and say like, don't sign this? You know, I know yeah. that that's not what I know. That's not what you do as a reality TV person, but it is really scary. And that's happening to a lot of women who aren't on 90 day fiance and yeah. uh, get here and are exploited and are con- like, don't know how to navigate the system because that's basically what was happening with this girl. It's very obvious that she doesn't understand because it's actually true that they don't have divorce in the Philippines to some extent, or mm-hmm. it's very, very low levels of divorce. She just really didn't understand the concept of a prenup. And she didn't understand why she would need one because like, obviously yeah. we're not going to get divorced. And she just didn't, she just didn't get what was happening. Yeah. At all. And it was it's really sad. Yeah, it's there, really I'm, sad. So I think when we had when we had um, Pooja from Sanctuary for Families, she runs the immigration product. She described lots of scenarios where immigrant women marry an American citizen and uh, 
she described somebody that was basically like brought to a psychiatrist and she didn't understand what was happening. And her husband just had her completely doped up. So she couldn't function and she couldn't complain. And so she was just completely sedated at all times, which is probably what he wanted in a wife. Yeah. And one thing I do want to say is that one policy that we could advocate for that would help a lot of these women is a livable minimum wage because they are trapped in a cycle of poverty a lot of times. I mean, it won't affect if their immigration status is if they're undocumented. But what I, I remember when there was a big push to change the way nail salons were run in the city because an, yeah. an article came out that showed like how hardcore the women in these salons were being exploited. And we we should be advocating for these women to be getting a livable wage so that they maybe can have some financial stability and agency that way. Yeah. Kimmy went on NBC this morning. She's the one that wrote that report about um, the hate crimes reflecting like the disparity between men and women. And I'm sure she'll talk with us. We might have her on tomorrow, but she she really cautioned against referring to this as a surge because there's a lot of reasons why a lot more people might be reporting. People feel more comfortable. There's been more sharing of like there are actually in lots of cities ways to report hate crimes in different languages, but people don't know that they don't have access. So but she she cautioned against calling this a surge because it implies that this hasn't been happening for a long time at really dangerous rates. And it has been. And I'm happy that people are now having the appropriate reaction to it. But are there any other policies or uh, cultural changes? How can we how can we change this so that people seem more white people see Asian people as more human and like them and relate to them as fully human people that you can't go kill? I mean, we could start with more media representation, yeah. uh, which, you know, it's kind of disturbing that we like highlighted all of these firsts at the Oscars, I know. which is embarrassing because again, like their their film industries internationally that have <laughs> represented people from these backgrounds for like yeah the entire time and we're just like oh we just noticed you exist um yeah. asian people can be in movies and it's like yeah, <laughs> they're, they're even yeah. they could write the movie they could actually direct the movie they could just I make mean, the whole movie <laughs> a whole movie um, <laughs> <laughs> they, they can be crew on movies um <laughs> Yeah, so that that just kind of happened. But like the fact that this has moved so slowly, the lack of awareness. I mean, we could just roll this into white people need to be more aware that this entire country is sitting on top of a monstrous white supremacist infrastructure that dehumanizes virtually anybody who's not white and male. Um, So and that seeks into your brain, even if you don't feel every day that you're like, a victim of the white male patriarchy, like you are you are like the way I don't know. I just can't get over that cops being like, I feel so bad for the killer's family. And, you know, he just had a bad day. It's like George Floyd had a bad day. Like, <laughs> yeah. What? Like, he just had a bad day. A lot about? of people have bad days and they don't go. He just fundamentally didn't relate to the Asian women victims. And he related. And we just have to shift something so that that changes. I, I feel like it's it's been strange because like in New York, people of all colors and all genders and like I don't. My my fiance is Asian, but he 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 passes for white is, is the only way to say it. So it's not something that we think about a lot when we're walking around the city. There have been a lot of hate crimes in the city, but there's just not we don't encounter a lot of racism against against 
Asian people in our circles. And so I spoke to my mom recently who lives in North Carolina and she called me and she was just so tearful. And she's like, I'm just so worried about Mike. I'm so worried. It keeps me up at night. And it just reminded me that she's not to me. I was like, mom, he's, he's fine, but she's not wrong to be worried in North Carolina where people aren't as exposed to populations that look and experience life differently than them. And it was just so jarring. And I remember when I moved to North Carolina, like people could not believe that I was Jewish. Like I had never thought about my Jewishness. And then suddenly like I would wear like a piece of jewelry that just had like a cool shape. And they would be like, they would call it like my Jewish ball. People would tease me because I wore like a little necklace with like a gold ball. They would call it my Jewish ball. And it was just so jarring to hear my mom feel a way about it that I hadn't considered. And it was really, if I am lucky enough to have a daughter one day, she will be an Asian woman. And it, yeah, it's really shaken me and something has to change. Yeah. We can start by taking out white supremacy, filtering white supremacists out of our law enforcement. That could help. That, <laughs> that would that probably could, be. We can start with that, considering, you know, the coup and, and the violence and the lack of follow-up and the lack of coordination with communities. And, I mean, we could continue going on this list of reasons why police are bad as currently existing um, and should probably be defunded. Yes, probably. <laughs> probably. Yes. As we said, Monday, the person not in this country, but the person that murdered Sarah Everard was a member of the same police force that violently broke up women protesting and demonstrating at a vigil. Like, not even protesting. I shouldn't even say that. They were just standing there with candles. What a surprise. I wrote many, many moons ago <laughs> when there was another attack on women uh, that misogyny is a gateway hate. And I think it's really <laughs> important to understand that if you start the, the fact that you can dehumanize that we have dehumanized for literally millennia, half of the human population, and that's not even counting other gender marginalized people, but just starting with cis women and then moving further out. That is, mm-hmm. it, uh, it's mind boggling. It yeah. like, just completely throws your brain like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> just half of people, just half of them by default are just not considered human. And like, if you start from there, yeah, it becomes much easier to humanize groups that are much smaller than that, where you intersect, like black mm-hmm. women are only 6% of the population. Like huh, I'm over here in like an ultra minority of a minority. Like we're uh, <laughs> Latina right. women, Asian women are one and a half percent of the population. And it, I mean, just, it's really crazy how much that dehumanization is compounded when it's like, a group of women who we perceive as being quote unquote, like servants to us, like Latina women, when like Latinas who are maids in like hotels and stuff face incredible amounts of misogyny, violence, attacks, etc. cetera. Um, black women who work in domestic, what fields face the same thing. And these Asian women who work in these massage parlors or who work in a nail salon or whatever, it's that mental, it's that like white supremacy lens that says like, okay, you're working for me though. Like I'm Mm -hmm. tipping you so I can treat you however. And like that you think of the old joke that's like, I can't tell, I I can't tell Asian people apart. Like that is the most centrally dehumanizing sentence you can even imagine. That's yeah. literally like, you're all the same. Sorry, like that. And I I remember that being 
like in the early 2000s or whatever, that was just like a joke that was around. Mm -hmm. Like that was like just something people thought was a funny thing to say. Yeah, it's shocking. And I think this this reminded me, we talked about this at the beginning, it's almost like the inverse of the Elliot Rogers shooting because it was it was the guy that killed the people, like those, I think they were in sororities, but just women in California yes. because Five they wouldn't have sex with him. Sororities, he ended up only killing men, or like okay. men, ironically. Yeah. Because the, because the sororities had security that kept guys not like yeah. like him but literally only by invitation could you get inside the sorority okay. house so the consistency i guess is that he held women responsible for his sexual problems and therefore he could kill them yeah. and this is the same thing that happened here may all women someday have the security <laughs> of a sorority house <laughs> i know truly part of the reason that security existed is because their lives were valued yeah, they're mostly white sororities, mm-hmm. you know, girls who can afford sorority fees, going to college, all of those things compound. Right. And so yeah. you're looking at the intersectional nature of it. Part of the reason that this was this, that this happened isn't just the dehumanization that's fed in. It's the vulnerability of those women, the ways that they're not protected, the ways that their lives are not valued, the ways our society tells us that it's OK to treat people a certain way and very specific people. So, you know, that security saved a lot of women's lives. But on the other side, it's showing how little we regard certain women that we don't put up protections. We don't consider protection in society. I mean, we're still talking about rape culture. We can talk about Olympic medalists who've been assaulted. We can talk about, like, we can go through the list, like being a woman in society. That's, that's, that is the problem. Yeah. And then it intersects at various levels with hypersexualization, with uh, dehumanization, with rhetoric that exists on racial scales, with lack of protection, lack of investment in, in our society, and not being taken seriously when we say we are afraid. We're constantly yeah. told, gaslit, minimized, and told that this is not a real problem. How many times have someone responded with, like, rape? If you say rape culture, people just, like, shut down and get upset. Cancel culture has gotten more ink spilled over it than people who systemically raped women. Think about that. That is a problem. And then you add things like disability on top of it. And you're really talking about a society of people who have been told their entire lives that they are worthless and they deserve to be thrown away. Mm-hmm. Right. And, that, and, and this is what happens. People throw them this away. This is what happens. Mm-hmm. Right. And people don't have the same reaction to those events as they do when it is white women who are the victims. That's our show. Please keep an eye out for resources. I also think, at least as you mentioned, like I think it's really important to challenge your friends if they say things that are off, if they are mean to people that work in nail salons. That's not acceptable. That's yeah. dehumanizing. If you think you can be mean to them, it's because you see them as less and you need to ch- check your friends that do that because yeah. you know we all have them and it's yeah. not acceptable. Because would you treat your white hairstylist that way? You wouldn't. And they're doing a very similar service for you. So like, right. And they are already underpaid. If for some reason you missed that report a couple years ago about nail salons, you should be tipping basically the the same price or more of, of what you're getting if you're getting that service. And like Mm -hmm. I said, we'll, we'll share some resources and keep talking about this until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Up podcast. 
The Betches Sup Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.